going, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Buddy's House of Horror Podcast, the very first interview of 2021, and I am very excited to have my guest on the show with me this week. Um, Of course, you guys have read the title already, so you know that my guest is the illustrious Roger Connors. He is the host of Dark Knight of the Podcast. Um, He's a local Cleveland filmmaker, actor extraordinaire, affectionately known as the Scream Queer. Um, We get into a lot of things in this episode, so I'm going to try to keep this intro short and sweet. Um, We talk about his film Rebirth, which is a retelling of Night of the Living Dead, as well as his brand new feature film that he stars in called Teacher Shortage, which is available now on Amazon Prime um, for streaming, as well as on DVD if you order it through Amazon. So very exciting conversation today. We also get into a little bit of Roger's backstory, how he first became interested in the horror genre, how he got his start into acting and why he decided to direct his own feature film. We get into all of that today and more in this very exciting episode of the show. If this is your first time joining us on the House of Horror, make sure you subscribe to whatever podcast streaming service you're listening to this on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever you're listening to it on. Make sure you click that subscribe button, and if it lets you leave a rating and a review, make sure you go ahead and do that. And also make sure you guys subscribe over on my YouTube channel. I have videos that come out every single week, especially in October. I have 31 videos come out every day in October, one video per day so it's always a ton of fun and like i said i just want to keep this intro short and sweet so as always let's get spooky so like how was your i mean we're into the new year now uh it's 2021 the abysmal year of 2020 is behind us hopefully um how were your uh how was the holidays how was your new year and everything um i mean it's the i think it's the answer that everyone's giving which is like quiet but it was it was like very it was quiet but like i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing i um i spent the holiday with my wonderful boyfriend and it was very like low-key and then for new year's we got a hotel room at like the hilton downtown cleveland and like it was like the perfect amount of like being out of the house but without really exposing ourselves to anybody um so it was a really like low-key but positive feeling new year and i feel like there's some turbulence right now but at least like we're getting some shit taken care of if you know what i mean yeah (laughs) how about you I mean, it was all right, man. I mean, just hung out with the wife and stuff at the house and all that. So, um, didn't see too much family or anything. Just kind of did low key. Didn't do any decorations this year, um, which is a little bit of a bummer. But you know, I mean, it was just us. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. Like I, we used it for like the opposite. Like normally, I don't do decorations, which is funny. Like I was raised with a family with like three Christmas trees and everything, but I kind of like, lost the. Um, drive to do it just like living alone you know so like this year though we actually did like a christmas tree and a full front yard decorate like display and i think it's just because we were so bored um <laughs> that like right. it was like actually very entertaining it was like a nice way to entertain ourselves at night uh without being able to like you know go out and socially interact so uh we used to kill some time yeah yeah, yeah. fun stuff of course and um you're known for, I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit later on, um, but I've been listening to your show, um, yeah. and I guess before we go ahead and get everything, I'm talking um, with the illustrious Roger Connors, um, <laughs> host of Dark Knight of the Podcast, and affectionately known as the Scream Queer. Um, so why don't you uh, just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, um, for those who are uh, getting to meet you for the first time. Uh, sure. Yeah. So I'm I'm based out of Cleveland, Ohio. 
um, The Best of Us Are. And um, I've been working in indie film for, like, I think, like, 15 years now. I started, I filmed a movie back in, like, 2005 called Elementary that went on to the Chiller channel. You remember Chiller, obviously. Oh, like yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was like a Chiller's amazing Chiller movie <laughs> about kids getting killed in a school. <laughs> and, um, and it got picked up for Chiller, and, like, it was my first film, so it was kind of, like, right out the gate that I had something on an indie level actually be seen. Because at that time, it's either that or it's, like, I don't know, you're ending up in, like, a Suncoast video, like, bin, you know? <laughs> like right. So, um... Uh, I was lucky with that, and I kind of just stuck with it. And um, after that, I've gone on to do, I don't know, like over 30 films now. Um, I've worked with a lot of people in Cleveland. I've gotten finally to work with a lot of people outside of Cleveland. And, um, yeah, it's just where I'm at still now. I'm in 35, and I'm realizing I really, more than anything, enjoy working behind the scenes, uh, which I think you hear a lot of actors say that. But um, I had a really good experience directing my first feature, Rebirth. And um, I kind of want to keep focusing on that while still actively working in front of the camera as well. So that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and you just started your, your podcast a little bit ago. Um, yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your show? Yeah, yeah. So Dark Knight of the Podcast, um, I, my co-host is Troy Escamilla, and he is a indie director based out of uh, Houston, Texas, and he's great. Um, and he and I became friends on social media we became friends on instagram years ago um and then he came up here for a film festival for one of his movies i think it was his movie stirring that went on to be retitled mrs claus um if you've seen it i don't know but uh it's a christmas slasher we both have christmas slashers so we like bonded over it but he goes up here is the same weekend as pride and i was like come to pride with my gaze and he did he came out and uh he's a queer director as well and we just had a great time and then I wanted to work with him in Teacher Shortage. Uh, I, I played a major role in his film Teacher Shortage in Houston. Remain friends through that. And we're like, you know what? We're two gays who love the genre. Uh, and we have a lot to say about it. <laughs> so we decided to start a podcast. And uh, and here we are. We did. And uh, we're, um, we're really getting into our groove. I really enjoy it a lot. He's great to host with. And um, our fan base is starting to develop, which is really cool. Like, we're at the point where we are getting, like, request i'm sure you have this now like request to cover a specific film or so you know talk about a certain topic and it makes me feel important so uh yeah we're in a good place with that i really enjoy it i really enjoy the podcast especially right now in the midst of everything that's going on you know what i mean yeah was that sort of your first like delve into like the podcasting world um well i okay so i've been interviewed on a bunch of them and clearly I like to talk, so like, uh, that's always been enjoyable. But um, I've listened to podcasts. I, um, My Dad Wrote a Porno is my favorite one, which is about um, a young British man who finds out that his father is writing erotica. <laughs> and so he and his two best friends, one gay, one a woman, sit down and each week they read a new like a new chapter from one of his father's many eroticas oh, that's uh, interesting called... it's great <laughs> so i uh, yeah i really like i love the world of i feel like it's almost like i mean it definitely is it's an old art form being brought back for a new era for the era of like new technology because before tv we had radio shows we had radio plays and we had you know that's what people got their news from and their entertainment from and I'm really happy that there's this resurgence of audio-based entertainment because there's so much you can do with it. So I'm just kind of starting to like, it's the tip of the iceberg 
for me with Troy, because we're having a great time with our show, but we already know all the areas we can evolve it. And uh, lots of possibilities. It's just really fun. Yeah, it's always exciting stuff. I mean, I've been doing it, oh God, like almost five years now. I've been doing different shows and stuff. So yeah, it's fun. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're both filmmakers, both into the horror genre. So I'm very mm-hmm. excited to have you on the show today. Um, why don't you give me a little bit of an introduction on how you got into the whole world of horror? Yeah, yeah. This is, I mean, I would say this is probably like the most, uh, I, I get this question a lot, and I always want to give like a different answer for it, but it's like such a defining moment <clears throat> in my youth that because like my discovery for horror defined like everything in the sense of how I took an entertainment after this point. I was seven years old. I lived with my grandparents. My grandfather had a VHS cabinet in it was night of the living dead. I, as a child, like before I knew what being scared was, I was like fascinated with the imagery. It was like, I remember the exact box. It was like black and white. And you saw like the zombies, like shambling towards the, the image. And, um, it was real simple, but it just creeped me, creeped me out. And so I was seven and my grandfather was like, fine, you can watch it. And, um, it, like it traumatized me like the movie had an everlasting impact on me and and uh, I was drawing really violent imagery and, and images of like recreating scenes from the movie and I was going to private school at that time and like the priests had to meet with my mother about it like it affected me moving forward and then my uh, obsession with horror imagery really just didn't go away you know um, and so it was this really young age to be so heavily influenced by horror but like I feel like it, it like kind of screwed with my brain a little bit and it never like got back after that. You get what I mean? Oh yeah. I feel, I mean, I feel similar. I mean, my introduction to horror was when I wandered downstairs at like two, three in the morning one night and my dad was like asleep on the couch or whatever. And, uh, the mummy, one of the old mummy films from the thirties was on the TV and it's like the one where he's like carrying the princess down into the swamp and she just like decomposes in front of the camera and everything. And, scarred me for life but then yeah i mean i'm obsessed with it now so <laughs> yeah yeah and like i guess I'll, I'll say one thing that like i haven't really discussed to give this like a little fresh approach too because this is a question that i feel like i give the same answer all the time and it's like word for word exactly the same but like i will say like i had a pretty um like had a really weird childhood like a really like strange situation with like I, my mom was really ill from a young age and like i needed a lot of escapism and like my escapism became cinema and art and and what I was seeing in cinema I was expressing in art and it was all pretty violent and I kind of went through like a goth phase and everything but um I, I feel like I, I hear a really similar story from a lot of people who found horror at like a young age like really like define that chapter for them you know like it really is a pivotal moment like when a kid or a young teenager finds out they're a horror fanatic like you don't know many other people who like many other genres that are as diehard as horror fans are, you know? Right. And and I, I don't know anybody that was like, in later in life, I found my love for horror. Like, no, this is something we, like, develop in us and we carry with us. You know what I mean? Um, so I, you were pretty young when you discovered horror, I'm guessing? Oh, yeah. I mean, that happened when I was, like, five or six. And then yeah. by the time junior high rolls around, I mean, it's about time to whip out the Halloween VHS, Friday the 13th, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. Yeah, I always had Night of the Living Dead t-shirts. I always had, like, I mean, I'm talking in high school. Like, it just never went away. So uh, it was an obsession for a chunk of my life. And I and I obviously still carry my love for that film with me 
to this day, you know, it's my favorite film of all time. It was very defining for me as a kid. Yeah, of course. And like, as you said, like horror grips you at a young age. I also feel like horror is like, it's sort of like the punk rock of like the movies. Um, mm-hmm. People sort of look down upon it and it, but it also brings together like so many like different kinds of people. Cause like the punk rock scene is very accepting of, you know, everyone, like, it's not like, yeah. I don't know, like, I feel like you find such a diverse crowd that is into horror. Oh, uh, absolutely. Like, one thing I will acknowledge is, like, a queer actor and filmmaker is, it was pretty um important, like, that was really important in my finding, like, a niche audience early in my career. Like, because I, like, was comfortable playing those roles and everything, I think, the, like, the queer crowd, at least, because we talk about minorities being accepted within the horror culture, um, a lot of these minorities turn to the horror culture because it is a lot of, like, stories about misfits and people who are different and, like, the underdog rising up. And all these themes that, like, we as a lot of these minorities or people who don't necessarily feel part of the in-crowd look for. So, like, to have a queer fan base is so important for me because there's a lot of queers who love horror. Like there's a, a huge queer fan base, and 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 it's um, it's important to a lot of people. It's amazing how many different minorities and niches and every it's it, it covers all cultures and everything. Like horror is is important to a lot of people. Yeah, and I've noticed because I mean obviously I've seen your film Rebirth, um, and I've listened to your show. I mean you incorporate the diversity into the stuff you do, and it seems like that's very like important to you yeah yeah you know i um i've been in a lot of bad movies like it's and that just happens when you like work in any <laughs> yeah. film like and it's it's not you know it's fine like i've known what i've been doing i understand that some of these films i'm in that's what people are looking for but i'm I'm at the point i guess in my career that i really would rather instead of making like 10 films a year for me i'd rather put my blood sweat and tears into like a couple that like i know are going to elevate my craft right yeah, you know I what i mean like yeah. like rebirth i really like i had I, i'd ad'd on a few sets i had never directed myself and i knew i was green like i knew i had something to learn but my goal was to take that as my first experience and at least for my first directorial debut with barely any money all out of pocket to be like this is what i did on my own with little experience this next one i have more experience i've learned so much um, and and I, I'm curious to push forward with that, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> the whole industry is 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 it's crazy. When how many people come together to to make this happen? How many people the in, independent film scene and the horror film scene affects? And how many people are just diehard about it and and um, uh, true to it and support small projects like mine? You know, like you don't have that with any other genres, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how did you, um, because obviously you were a horror fan from a very like young age, but what made you want to like get into acting and all that? Cause I know like plenty of horror fans who would like, Oh, I love making like watching films, but I'd never want to make one or participate in one. So what made you sort of want to make this as a career choice? Yes. I grew up doing a lot of theater. Um, but like theater wasn't really clicking for me. Um, uh, I was like a big, really big performer and it wasn't like something I necessarily liked. I was trying to find excuses to play more like subtle emotions and subtle roles and training my acting to be less big. And so um, 
I started to realize like film was just something where I was I could translate those smaller moments a lot better, um, and and I enjoy that better. Those smaller moments that challenge me as an actor. Uh, and really, really push me to sh- like little nuances and everything. So, um, I, you know, I, I found an audition for uh, the elementary, and I, I decided to go out for it because I loved acting. I did want to pursue it. I just needed to find the right means to do it, um, and it worked out. And yeah, man, it was like a great venting tool for me because I was like an awkward teen, um, but on stage I felt super confident. As an actor, I just felt confident in myself. Like I didn't mind being the focus of attention because the rest of the time I was very uncomfortable, you know? So it was a nice venting tool. Um, and to this day, it's like my escapism, you know, right. I, I use it for all the right purposes. I feel I really love, I still really love acting and it's very selfish why I like it, but it is my, like, it's my moment to get out of my space and go and become someone else, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, I totally understand. I mean, you've seen me in person, very awkward, <laughs> very, very strange. Um, but on the internet, I can't, I can't shut up. So <laughs> I guess everyone Same. has like their escapism. So, um, yeah. and yeah, so, so you did acting for a while. Mm-hmm. And then as you mm-hmm. mentioned, rebirth is your first sort of, um, big directorial thing. Um, yeah. so what sort of, what challenges did you see and sort of what made you want to pursue directing? Uh, so yeah, I just had like, I kind of touched on this a little earlier, but like I had some bad, um, just some bad experiences, man. Like, um, things that I saw other directors do that I was like, wow, that just felt really inconsiderate. Um, I always say, you know, I don't really, I don't care about the money in this. I don't care about much other than don't abuse my time, you know? And in the sense that, you know, I'm in my thirties now and I have things I do outside of acting and I have people whom I love and I have people I want to spend my time with. And, and I devote my personal time most of the time to acting. Um, and it's one thing to be on a long set. I don't care about that, but like for someone to have someone come out to a set without having a shoot schedule or an idea of what right. pages in the script are going to be filmed. I mean, like, you know this exists. Oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but a lot of people on here know this exists. Um, someone, I've been to sets where I arrived, and they hadn't even scouted the location yet. Um, and I walked. And I, I realized, I was like, this is not what I'm looking to do. I'm looking to act, but I'm not going to act and, like, drop my dignity on the floor, you know? I Like I said, I have, my time is precious to me. I want to spend it doing what I love. So I figured at least I can do what I love within my control um and if i screw up i screw up right and it's on me but if it goes well it's a feather in my cap (laughs) you know so rebirth was um it was like a a project born out of passion and it was stemmed directly from my love for night of the living dead um i'd always wanted to retell the story but retell it um with like a fresh approach because Romero was so known for his social commentary. Night of the Living Dead is such a social commentary of the times, and it deals with such heavy issues that are very relevant today. But there's other issues that are also relevant today that I thought really neatly could be woven in and out of aspects of the story and play in in a very natural way. And I thought it was really ballsy at the time, but now looking at it, I don't feel like it disrupts the core story at all. Um, and so I'm, I'm really proud of that aspect of it was mentioned earlier tying like things I'm passionate about in and social commentary and um but yeah I just felt like it was the right story to be told again and I thought this back in 2013-14 when I wrote the script and now in 2021 
it's even more relevant. Oh yeah, totally. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I last not last year, the year previous, I had Rachel Anderson on the show. Um good friend of yours and actress in the film, of course. Yeah. Um so yeah, let's let's just give people a little bit of an update on Rebirth because when I had her on, the film was still mm-hmm. in post production. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that I think that she was her episode came out the same week that your first teaser dropped. That's how we like timed it, so it was yeah. coming out like around the same time. Um, but you mentioned it's it's essentially a remake of Night of the Living Dead, a reboot. Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of, yeah, just give us the, the story of Rebirth, um, why you wanted... Because you said Night of the Living Dead is your favorite film. Um, but how did this whole project sort of come to be? Yeah, so I um, I moved back to Cleveland from Columbus, and I uh, I had taken kind of a break from film. I did Chill the Killing Games, um, and it was really an exhausting process. I mean, I'm proud of it, but it was very exhausting. And so I was kind of like, is this what I want to do? And I, I moved back to uh, Cleveland, and I, I, at this point, realized, okay, I'm going to give this another shot. I want to do it within my terms, though. I want to I want to see if I'm good at this behind the camera. I want to know if this is just a fluke situation where I've helped out before and things have gotten better, or <laughs> or is this, you know, am I really capable of doing this to the extent that I want to do it? Uh, and so I said, screw it, and I, I paid for it out of pocket, and I wrote the script uh, between 2013 and 14, and I cast. I didn't even. I don't even think I held. I held an audition for maybe like three roles, but I cast mostly out of this, my circle of people that I just trusted, including Rachel Anderson, who I actually brought into the independent film scene. Uh, we had been doing theater together, and I knew she was. I knew there was even more to Rachel than like we were seeing on the stage, and uh, I'm really happy that I asked her to do the project I did. Um, even though that one didn't get completed because of, of her coming into it, she did get to do Rebirth, and I think she's one of the best parts about Rebirth, to be honest. Oh, yeah, she's incredible. Um, yeah, she's one of the most amazing local actresses. And so um, I just I felt like I had the right pool of talent. Uh, Noel Bai, the cinematographer, who I worked on Shield of Killing Games with, um, came on board as my cinematographer. And, um, yeah, I just feel like I, I just kind of was like, this is the time this feels important to me and this is a really good venting tool for my passion that I have right now. I, I, I needed to do something. And so we moved forward with it um, and we filmed it. Uh, it was over the course of two years, the initial shoot. Um, and then we had some really unfortunate technical issues. Uh, we lost like 30% of the film and we like I, the movie got abandoned for a hot minute. Um, but luckily, my editing team came on, Michael Coons and Malachi Polte, and they um, they resurrected the dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and the, the film luckily got finished. And uh, it was originally entitled Night of Living Dead Rebirth. But um, uh, through social media, uh, I was able to be in touch with one of the members from the Image 10, um, who uh, basically were informed that I was making a remake, you know, right. and um, and I asked them, what can I do to make this something that doesn't read as like a cash cow or offensive to you? Because the copyright situation is very unfortunate and I understand um, why fans do not like it. And for all I knew, you know, the movie would just end up on YouTube. Right. With something, you know, like uh, I was open to options and they were like, honestly, 
the only thing that we really request is that you don't capitalize on the name. Because the story is one thing. If you're retelling the story, you're retelling the story. But it's when people say, Night of the Living Dead, blah, blah, blah. And it's on there. And because it's on there, people see it. And they're making money just because the name's getting ripped off. Even though some of these movies have not even been the same film. You know, they've just used Night of the Living Dead just to catapult the title. You know? Right, yeah. And I was, And I get it. And I, and I said, you know what? Honestly, like, whatever you guys want, um, I'm going to respect because you are the reason that my favorite film exists and I'm just doing this from a place of, you know, loving the story. So whatever the rules or regulations are, I'm, I will be happy to appease. And so we retitled it Rebirth. Um, and that's how Rebirth was born. And uh, it is now uh, in the process of getting signed for distribution. So yeah. pretty That's exciting. amazing, yeah. yeah. And you guys had a pretty cool premiere uh, at the Cedar Lee. I heard it was a blast. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was, you know, unfortunately, it was uh, our original premiere was scheduled. We scheduled the premiere like two weeks before things shut down for COVID. Right. Um, it was so like originally, July, something. July. Yeah. Yeah. So and this, so this goes back to, um, you know, like in November we set it up, and so unfortunately we had to cancel the first premiere, but we moved it to October right around Halloween. Uh, the first couple nights went really well. Like, I was really blessed to, even though we had like, to set up the seating a certain way and everything, um, for all for what we could do, it was a full house, you know? Um, but then the the last screening was right around the time that everything started to shut. Like, DeWine's like, if, if you guys don't listen, we're going to shut down for real. And, like, everything shut down again. Right. And so, like, we basically should have canceled that last screening because that was, like, the night after. Um, but everything else was great. <laughs> so, yeah. um so uh, I was just really happy to see people respond to something that like has been worked on for so long that I think that some people thought wasn't going to get finished. Yeah. Why know? Why is it important? Because, of course, I've worked on many films that never see the light of day or films that will just come out like online and there's no like fanfare or anything. Um, but mm -hmm. I've always felt like as like a director, producer, stuff like that, you sort of have like a responsibility to like do something like special when the film comes out just because there's like so many people that like worked on it um, yeah. is that something that was important for you to make sure that even with everything getting canceled and shut down there was still something that was able to happen yeah i mean my my main thing was really like the cast um and the crew and the zombies like i had over 100 zombies come out and like they'd been like asking like i mean for years for this um, and I, I wouldn't feel comfortable going on and doing another film after, I mean, if, if I didn't finish this movie, I, I don't think I could have made another one. I would, I would have felt too guilty. There were too many people who came out and donated their time, um, and, and their energy and their efforts and, um, sat in makeup for hours. And, you know, it just, one of those things, like I owe them that I owe them a chance to see it on the screen. Um, I couldn't have done it without any of these people, you know? So, so for me to not finish the project or not ensure that it's seen in a venue, uh, where they can enjoy it, I think would, would be unfair, you know? Yeah. 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 But it, I mean, everything, everything turned out great. It was a, it's an amazing film. Um, oh, I see, I see, uh, the critical reception has been good so far. I've seen a lot of articles coming through. Um, and I like the fact that it is like a retelling of the story, but it's not exactly a remake in every sense. Like, obviously, like characters have been changed. Um, and I don't know. Why don't you talk about a little bit of what 
for those who are like, oh, I don't want to see a Night of the Living Dead remake or it's been done, like, what sets your film apart from the original and what sets it apart from some of the other remakes and retellings that there have been? Yeah, so I feel like, you know, my film, there are times it's clearly Night of the Living Dead and there's times it's meant to be its own thing. Um, what I really wanted to take from somebody who I would say, like, if, if I had one director that schooled me and my, like, approach to cinema, it's Romero. Like, that that was what started the whole, like, inspiring me to want to create cinema. Um, and so this was conceptualized as more of a tribute to Romero um, and what he stood for as a filmmaker and what I think his story that he told in 1968 would be told, like, in 2020. Because unfortunately, like I said, unfortunately, some of those themes are still are just as prominent now as they were then. But now we also have new issues, and it's pointing at some of those new issues um, and examining those while also dealing with a very unique horror element as well, you know? Um, and so there are things I want to do to make it feel very Romero and I let me know. There's things I want to do to make it completely different, like the eyes. Like, I know some people are going to be like, I hate those eyes. But you know what? I didn't want to have a Romero zombie. I didn't want to have the same thing people saw the time. It's not supposed to be the exact same story. It's supposed to be inspired by it and, and approached with a completely, like, you see, like, I compare it to this. Okay, take a movie, uh, take a book like The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. How many illustrators do you think have illustrated that book? How many times over? There are some really beautiful retellings of that book through different forms of illustration, but they're all different. You know, they all, they're all approached from a different way. I'm telling the same story, but I'm telling it with my own paintbrush um, and I'm telling it from a, a very relevant and current angle, you know? So, so my goal was to just get people feel like they're watching something that makes them feel when they watch it, um, like impacted, not just like, Oh, that was a fun horror movie. Also be like, Oh, that was a horror movie, but also like that hit on some things, you know? Right. And what, one thing you touched on that, I don't know, it could have been a reference to the original film. It could not have been, um, but many people don't know this, that in the original Night of the Living Dead film, they're not called zombies. They're called mm -hmm. ghouls. Mm -hmm. And I felt when I was watching your film, they were very ghoulish. I mean, you mm -hmm. mentioned the glowing eyes. Like, did that have something to do with it, or was I reading too much into it? No, no, no. I think there's a, a few things. So I like I, I took a few excerpts of things from, from Romero and from Night of the Living Dead to kind of create my take on, on these on these ghouls and you're right like we don't say zombies in our version either um so um the the first thing i thought of was the venus space probe line from the original film they mentioned the venus space probe which been had been had left our atmosphere they detected something wrong with it and so they shot it down but it got into our atmosphere and they're suspecting that's what is causing the zombie epidemic it's referenced in a news report that's all you really get so I was like, I want this to have kind of a space, kind of a sci-fi vibe at times. I want it to seem like this could almost be like a, a parasitic situation. It doesn't need to be like, this is like bioengineered here in the States. Like, no, right. I want to give it a different approach. You know what I mean? Um, I want to kind of embrace that sci-fi feel because I went very 60s with part elements of it, from the vehicles to the color palettes, you know? Um, so I wanted that. So I also, that made me think kind of of like Cronenberg um, and some of his more like body horror 
right. uh, movies, like uh, Shivers, you know, like that whole kind of like the possessed body kind of vibe and all of that. So the eyes were a mix of like kind of that wanting that sci-fi vibe and also like Bioshock and some of these games that did their own approach to the zombie. Because Romero, you know, sparked the concept of the flesh eater. A lot of people have taken that and run different directions with it, you know? So I wanted to take different elements from, like, the video games, like Resident Evil, you know, and kind of just create my own visualization of what these creatures were. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, you updated the look of the zombies. We mentioned you updated the look, I mean, and the the interpretations of some of the characters. I mean, for example, Rachel's character um, is much more empowered than she, uh, the original one, was in the film. Um, and yeah, I appreciate you taking risks with the story and making it your own. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I like the, one of the biggest, I think one of the biggest, um, decisions for me was, was the whole like Barbara situation because like, there's like, there are certain characters within the genres that are kind of sacred and like Barbara, she even has like a line about her. That's like so iconic. Like, you know, they're coming to get you, Barbara. Like it's one of those things that I feel like. I was really scared to take a new approach with her, that character, but I just felt like it made sense. Like, within the structure of the story, like, if we're going to make anybody have an extra layer to them, like, it's going to be her. Because she's so, like, meek and timid and scared, and, like, that's who she is. And um, I wanted to give her something else to define her more. So I went ahead and I made her a gay male. And, like, uh, some people are like, that's... People are going to be pissed off. But I don't know if that's the case now because people are really digging it. Like, people are really <laughs> vibing with it. And the whole thing between, like, Cooper now, like, Cooper being kind of, like, the Westboro kind of mentality. Right. Because that's a change that I made. And, um, and like, listen, I was raised Catholic. Um, I know there's the church can have great elements to it, but I also know it can be used to be, like, really cruel by the wrong people. And that kind of personality in the midst of crisis, that's dangerous, you know? Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you mentioned that you play essentially the Barbara character in this. Um, what sort of is it like, because I've had this experience as well, um, where I've directed things that I've also been a part of. Um, how was how that experience for you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I don't know if I would do it again. Um, I feel like being my first movie, it was very selfish of me. But like also... Um, like at the time like when I was writing it like I was picturing myself in the role if I like once I started knowing what I was gonna do with it I'm like gay blonde prominent nose like I have all of the traits that Barbara has um <laughs> no but like I um and like honestly like I think part of the reason that made me feel so ballsy to make the character gay is because I grew up like infatuated with the character so I just felt like a really strong connection like I knew like this is something I could do um but like I, because of that I chose to like I mean if you notice Barbara doesn't Barbara, me. <laughs> Adam does not speak a lot in the movie. Like it's just like a lot, like ha, ha, ha. Like you know, um, and that was intentionally because like I didn't want when there is some of that intense acting. I didn't want to be the person who'd be like, now here's my monologue that I'm like going to be giving. Right. Like I, I wanted to be able to like create the image in the midst of some of these big climactic moments because the movie, like I will say, for like an indie, I feel like it builds and it swells and. Uh, I'm very proud of that fact. And I think letting myself at least step back and not um, be so, like, vital towards the end of it, at least verbally with the dialogue, was really helpful. But, yeah, I don't know if I would do it again unless I had a really strong AD. 
uh, helping me through it, who, who could focus on the acting uh, and helping me in those moments, you know? Right. Yeah, I've become a big fan of me having just a little cameo, maybe just, like, one scene. Like, I don't know if I could ever do an entire film where I'm in almost every shot, so... How very M. Night Shyamalan of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel that. Yeah. So, I mean, Rebirth, I mean, you've said the, the critical response has been good so far. You've mentioned distribution. Um, is there anything that you can share with us, or is it still, like, under wraps on what's going on? Like, I really wanted to be ready to share it on, on this specific specific podcast. Um, and, like, I don't... Like, I mean, we've... So here's the deal. Like, we've signed the distribution. Like, we have officially signed it um, and sent it with, like, the hard drive. So I guess I could technically, like, announce it. But, like, I'm scared, like, I'm going to say it. And then, like, jinx, because, like, it hasn't happened yet. But, um... We, When's uh, it we supposed signed... to happen? I can wait till it happens. No, <laughs> I mean, like, well, The thing is, is, like, they're they probably just received the hard drive. Um, so, like, I just, like, I hope they don't, like, watch through it and be like, oh, we have decided to go not go with it anyways. I don't know. You know, I'm just paranoid. I'm in my head. You know, I, I want it all to work out. We signed with um, uh, Midnight Releasing. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Midnight Releasing. So, I mean, well, actually, it's, like, they're... There, I think it's Samara Entertainment is like the larger umbrella. So I don't know specifically which breakdown we're going to be released under. I'm thinking Midnight, but if we just got released under their main title, that'd be even better. Um, <laughs> but I'll take I'll take whatever I can get. Like Midnight definitely has its following, um, and they're really good with like promoting and everything. And like we had a few options and some strong contenders. Um, and I think because even though we don't have Night of the Living Dead in the title, like when people review this movie, they're be like Rebirth which is Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> like, it oh, is yeah. it. So, uh, um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I like to think that uh, people are going to respond well. So, yeah. yeah. That, this is the first time I've mentioned that, so you get that tidbit of information. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm very privileged. Lucky <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Cool. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so, yeah, Rebirth, I'm very excited to see what happens next with it. Um, and yeah, some of the uh, your other projects. I mean, we've you mentioned you've been in over thirty films. There's way too many to even begin the list. Um, but I want to mention one just because it was another guest I had on the show. Um, okay. in, the, in the very first season, I had Chrissy Cleric on the show right after Lilith had wrapped. Um, so, what can you tell us about that experience? I listened to that. I like. I remember specifically listening to that interview with her, because Chrissy, like, it's funny. Like, I guess, in the sense of like films that I've done with a with a villain that's gotten like acknowledgement or like cult status. I don't want to say cult because it's definitely not cult, but like at least people have been like, this villain's rather effective. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been Chrissy in Lilith Ratchet, and so and I was excited to hear like where that was going to go because I did the costume design for Lilith. Dan Click and his team did, like, the makeup. Right. Uh, but the wig and the gown and, that and, the, and um, the, like, the choker and everything, like, all of that was me. Uh, so I will take that credit. <laughs> and, but um, it, that was, you know, I'd worked with Eddie several times before. Eddie's sets are very unique. And um, that film was a lot of work i remember like it was an exhausting shoot like overnight shoots um 
draining, but it was very much like this is a work schedule. I remember that I did get to work opposite my um, one of my very best friends, Caitlin Newberry, who was wonderful, who um, played my girlfriend in that film, but you would never know it because all acknowledgement of our relationship was cut from the, <laughs> from the file. Like, we just look like a really good friends through the whole movie, but we're actually lovers in this film. Uh, we had a kiss that was cut. We were just like, why did they cut our kiss? But whatever, who am I to complain? Um, I, maybe maybe my gay was shining through too much. But no, um, but I, I will say like the one thing from working on that film that really stands out for me was I really enjoyed my death sequence. Um, Greg um, Kraus filmed it, and he filmed the hell out of that scene. And uh, Dan Click and his team doing the makeup. Like, it all just kind of gelled together. Chrissy was, like, so effective. I think it's one of mo- her most effective scenes in the film. Like, her, like, when I turn the flashlight, she's like, Ooh, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, floating at the camera. <laughs> And uh, it just worked, man. Like it was one of the more fun sequences I've I've filmed, um, and I, I always like look to that one. If I'm like, I need a good like Facebook photo, I'll just put the photo of me with the slashes across my face because uh, it's effective. But yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm thankful that that film got like seen. You know, it was out in Walmart and out in different stores and playing on Voodoo, Tubi, and all these other things services that exist out there. So. I'm thankful for that movie. I know it was very popular at my uh, my local family video when those were a thing. Um, they unfortunately all <laughs> well, well, well. <laughs> yeah, they all just shut down. But um, I know, I know. But there I, goes one of my main sources of having my films viewed. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad you had a positive experience with it and everything. And um, yeah, but the new film that's coming out, um, there's already out at the time of this is teacher shortage. Yeah. Um, so that's when you started working with your co-host on your podcast. So what can you tell me about teacher shortage? Teacher shortage was a really cool experience. Um, so it was in Houston. I'd never been to Houston. And so, um, I had a really like fun time. The first few days I was there, um, I got brought in with my, uh, my, who I played opposite, Chris uh, Jennings, who is like fantastic. He's such a sweet guy and super talented. Um, and he and I were like playing opposite each other. And so they they brought us in first. Like we were the first ones to arrive. So we kind of just like had like some time to be like having fun at the hotel, drinking <laughs> margaritas in Houston. And uh, it was just like a really good energy. And I had like a really, I feel when you work kind of with on the indie level, it's easy when you're working with the same directors, they start kind of putting you in roles that are, I don't want to say typecasting you, but they know your strengths or what they think are your strengths and so they start to use you to fall back in certain roles. And so um, I was given a role in this film that I don't think a lot of people would have ever entrusted me with. Uh, but since it was like someone new, some some new blood, they they threw me in this really good role and I'm really thankful for it. And it's gotten me some of the better attention I've had since working in the industry. So I'm really thankful for that. Um, I got to meet some like uh, actors and actresses, like f- names in the genre who I actually like know and like recognize from films I care about. Like Tamara Glenn played my mom, <laughs> and she's uh, Samantha from Halloween Five. And 
so Halloween five is like strangely like when I was a kid, like one of the Halloweens that I would just remember the most, like the whole scene of her in the barn in the red right. um, yeah. devil costume. Like that was really like defining for me. So it's just like one of those things I'm like, this is, she's played my mom. That's like so like random, like so cool. And um, yeah, it was, and Frank Stevens is in it. So slumber, like the slumber party massacre sequence, they kind of really, I almost like recreate for her in a different um, scenario and it was really cool it was just a really fun project and seeing new talent and how they do their thing um, people you haven't worked with before nobody I knew nobody on this set and it was all just like super chill I was super thankful for it it was one of my favorite experiences to date I made some really good friends um, people who like I've gone to film conventions thanks to Julian Prescott and just like gotten into some of these things that I never would have expected to even be part of before this. So uh, yeah, I'm super thankful for Teacher Shortage and Troy giving me that role and bringing me onto the podcast and everything. When when was that shot? That was shot in 2018, I think. It has not been too long. It was 17 or 18. I think it was, you know what, I think it was, it was, right after the new year so it was 2018 but it was like february gotcha. um yeah 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 i can tell from my weight because i'm pretty big <laughs> <in it. laughs> but um but yeah yeah and i was there for like i think 10 days it was great yeah it was a very really good time yeah and it just released several weeks ago um mm-hmm. so for those for those who haven't heard of us what is teacher shortage about like what's the general idea of it so yeah teacher shortage is um it's a slasher inspired by the best of 80 slashers. Uh, it's about a, um, a high school where uh, 10 years prior to the, the current setting of the film, 10 years prior, there is a, uh, a student who is bullied uh, into committing suicide. And uh, so the school kind of has this like cloud that hangs over it, you know, and people acknowledge that this is the school where this girl killed herself. And the way that they do the whole sequence is pretty, um, it's very, like, realistic in, in the approach to it. They don't do some, like, absurd, uh, crazy thing. Like, it, it's pretty off-putting. It's, it's really a well-done sequence. So, um, fast forward 10 years, I think it is, or around um, that time frame. And um, the teachers now, within the current, within the English department, are having a meeting. And some of these teachers are teachers that were teaching there when this all happened, and and so the teachers during this um, like outing start getting targeted and killed. Instead of being the students, not every slasher, it's always the students. This is the right. focus on the teachers and what the teachers, the roles the teachers had to play in the student being bullied into suicide, you know? Um, and so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a unique twist on the, it's a flip on the concept. And it works, in my opinion. It works pretty well, and it's it's fun. You're just seeing a different kind of stock of character getting killed off. Um, but it was fun, man. Really fun project. Yeah, and it sounds like it was a pretty um, interesting group. I mean, you came in from Ohio for it. Um, you obviously some people came in, like some big names, like from Halloween Five and stuff like that. Was it was the rest mostly like Houston area people, or were people coming in from all over? I think only two actors were from Houston. I think, um, I know one's from Vegas, one's from New York, one's from LA, one's from Florida. I mean, they're all over, like, and uh, yeah, they're all over the place. Uh, Yeah, uh, largely 
largely predominantly um, people from out of state. So that was cool too. Uh, yeah, I think it was only two two of the the two of the actors were were from the Houston area. But other than that, it was all people I never worked with. Well, I hadn't worked with them either. But all people coming in from all over the place. Nobody was from Cleveland. Oh yeah, that's that's incredible getting a bunch of people together in a, a state you you said you've never been to to Houston right. before. So getting to see a new place and all that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was it was great, man. It was I, I want more experiences like that, you know. Yeah. So as I mentioned, the film has just been released online. Where can people watch the film? Um. It's, so it's on Amazon Prime. You can. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of where I. I'm trying to think of where you can stream it right now. So it it it's out on Amazon streaming and DVD now. Um. I don't know if it's hit any other streaming services yet. Um, I'm sure it's going to hit like a 2B or a Vudu pretty soon, but right now it's just out in physical form and then streaming through Amazon Prime. Uh, if if anything else happens with it, I'll let you know. I'm shocked that it hasn't, to be honest, because it's gotten like a pretty fair amount of attention just from Amazon. Um, so I'm sure we'll see something else for it pretty soon. It's gotten a pretty good reception. Right. Is it hitting like the online like festival circuit or anything right now? Yeah, it did a few festivals um, recently too. So... Um, I don't know if it has any coming up, but it did. I can't even remember which one. I we did win best villain in one, and I was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> I don't know why I would say that though. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! I just gave it away. <laughs> it's okay. Um, <laughs> it's been out for a few months. People yeah. should know. <laughs> but um, put a spoiler warning before this review. No, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's hit a few film festivals, and it uh. It uh, it did it's done pretty well. It's it's won a few. Um, I'm blanking on the specific ones just because I'm stupid. I should know this. I should be better about talking <laughs> these things up. But I'm proud of it. I'm proud of what the film's accomplished. I'm sure it'll go on to do more. Yeah, and yeah, as we said, you've been in a ton of projects um, over the years. I think you said you started in '05, and then it really picked up around like '09. You were uh-huh. doing films on a more consistent basis. Um, what are some of the Roger Connors essentials? Like, what are some of the films people should be checking out? I, I have had the personal thoughts I've done before. Like, if I had a box set, what would my box set be? Yeah. <laughs> With, like, my face going down the side of it. Um, okay, so, I would say, um, Chill the Killing Games, because it got on Rooster Teeth. Do you know what Rooster Teeth is? I'd love for you to tell me about it. Okay, Rooster, no, Rooster Teeth is like this online. It's it's like an online channel. If you look it up, you'll understand why. I guess this like this seems to be a big deal because people love it. But they did this whole segment um, called um, called Theater Mode, where they would like get a like get a shitty. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on your show, but oh, uh, you can uh, swear you know, all you want. <laughs> a shitty independent film and like do a mystery science theater to it. Um, but the overall consensus they watched, but like they watched till the killing games. They're like, this is actually a fairly good movie. <laughs> so, which I will take. And so, and that's been like all the comment threads are like, chill is actually like an enjoyable film. And so I'm very pleased that these people liked it, but it got us like a huge spike in sales. But honestly, I just love chill. Cause it was my first time ADing. Um, and like we made some ballsy choices and we pulled some things off on a really small budget and it has fun characters and I care about the movie. It was one of my first like real experiences, um, delving into indie film and creating something. Um, other than that, I would say, 
Mother Krampus 2 Sleigh Ride. <laughs> <laughs> I played drag queen in it, and everybody is like loves that part of it. And even when people are like, it's the worst film I've ever seen, but that drag queen <laughs> was a riot. Like these two dudes just did a did a video review on it the other day, and the guy was like, he was like, I hate this movie so much. I hate it more than I could possibly describe. His friends like, yeah, but when that drag queen came on camera, <laughs> I was laughing, and they were like, true. So I was like, I'll take it. Like, <laughs> so that would be an essential. Um, Fighting the sky with Conrad Farage, sci-fi. Uh, it was shot really well. Greg Krause shot that one too. I'm proud of that movie. Visually, it's visually it's very strong. Um, so who? Because yeah. we talked about fighting the sky when I had Rachel on as well, because mm-hmm. um, she was the first death in the film. Um, so who are you? Well, yeah. the first the first abduction. Abduction. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what what part did you have in um, fighting the sky? Uh, I so I played Roy Shaw. And fighting the sky, I'm and I'm going to tell you a fighting the sky story. So, I got cast in the film, and like it's an I don't know if you know this, but the film is completely improvised. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you knew. <laughs> Most people do without being told, uh, but which is fine. I accept it for what it is. But so, um, so uh, I get cast in the role, and there's an actor who's supposed to play another role. And, like, due to a series of unfortunate circumstances, that actor was not able to play that role. So, like, the day of filming, they're like, Roger, we're combining these roles, and you're playing both of them. And I was like, oh, okay. I was, like, in no way prepared whatsoever. So, um, but, like, I'm, I'm thankful things worked out in that fashion because um, even though I don't necessarily think it's, like, my strongest performance because of the improv aspect, which I, I personally... I'm not always a fan of unless like it's really like nurtured and you take time to really like finesse what you're doing. Um, I, I really had some very cool like moments in that film. There's some really grand sequences in that movie that I'm really proud of um, directed really well. These like bigger sequences and probably some of the biggest stuff I've done in the sense of like scope. Cause they pulled off that like whole UFO attack sequence and everything. That's very impressive to me still, you right, know? So yeah. So I have to give them kudos there for those sequences for sure. Yeah. So we got we got three films for your box set. Yeah. I mean, let me let me make sure that we're not missing anything. <laughs> um. Um. Uh, I mean, there's I I'm in so many awful movies, <laughs> like, and I mean, like, and then I say it with with love. I think I say it with love, but like, I'm in some really bad films um yeah i mean <laughs> well rebirth will be added to that inevitably it rebirth yeah. will be part of that that box set <laughs> when it gets out when it gets out there teacher shortage will definitely be in the box set. i'm proud of that one um uh yeah yeah i don't know i have a lot of honestly like i i always strive for more when i'm doing this this and i look back on some of my older films i'm like what was i doing but like you've got to be I feel like everyone thinks that though on about you, their stuff. Yeah. You got to be grateful for the fact that you had some of these rougher experiences to like teach you. That's how we learn, you know. Like I, even though some of them didn't turn out exactly maybe the way I wanted them or pictured them to be, doesn't mean that I don't appreciate the experience and what I took away from it. And um, 
yeah, I mean, there. Uh, you know, one more I'll say, and Rachel Anderson is a really big role in this, and it just came to my head. And this is another Conrad Farage movie, and I'd say probably the best out of the ones I've done with him, because I did a few. Um, uh, Colors of Desire. It's a film noir. It's black and white. It's very, like, kitschy and artsy. Um, and it's a very small budget, and it kind of shows at times, but it doesn't even matter because he tried something really ballsy with it. And he finished it, and he got done, and it, uh, yeah, it looks um, it looks great. I'm proud of that movie. That would be in the box set, too. Yeah. Um, so one more that I kind of want to focus on, just because you mentioned Rachel again. Um, what's going on with Domestic? Ooh, domestic. That's exciting. So um, the guys that I worked on in uh, my editing team for Rebirth uh, have their own project that they're working on. They brought me on board um, and it is called Domestic and it is a feature and it's inspired off of a short that Malachi wrote uh, that Rachel was in. That was a um, kind of a conceptual piece that we used to get a feel for what we were doing and uh, I've seen the script as it stands so far, and I love it. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And um, we've already done uh, creature test uh, makeup effects, and we've done. Um, we recently did a big CGI effect that I'll show you, just so you can see like the scale that they're trying to do with this. Uh, because I'm super impressed. I'm really impressed. I cannot wait for this film. Um, I haven't done a feature in a hot minute. So I kind of am like hungry to do something right now. And I was even yeah. thinking of like, I haven't auditioned for anything outside of Ohio. And I'm like, maybe I should just audition for something here. Uh, but this is coming up at the right time. So I'm really thankful for it. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll keep you updated on Cause honestly it's, it's like kind of body horror and I love body horror. So right. I, I'm, I'm excited for it. It's going to be cool. Yeah. Is there any like potential like shooting time, like when your guys are going to start rolling with it or? Yeah. So I think we want it to be around springtime. Um, I know that they're finishing editing a film with Fright Tech Pictures, and I don't know how much time they have left with that. But once that's wrapped up, I think that we're going to move forward on domestic. Like we're aiming to do it soon. Like I said, we did that trial footage. We did that maybe like a couple weeks ago. Like this is recent. Like this ball oh, okay. started rolling recently. So we're going to keep on it. We're not looking to um, kill too much time. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what what else is on the horizon for you? Man, you know, like it's uh, a lot of it depends on like the COVID situation because a lot of it depends on traveling and like what I'm comfortable with. And everything, I, I just turned down, like, a good audition the other day, and it just didn't feel like uh, the uh, right time for me. Like, I think that maybe by spring, I'll start working on things outside of the area. I am attached to um, a fan film, a Carrie fan film. I don't do fan okay. films that often, but I love Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I just said, I was like, yes, you know what, I'm going to do this. Um, it's and it's a short, but it's just just a, just something to like you know keep within the genre and everything. But domestic is really like the next thing I that I have on the plate. I also do have my next. Now that rebirth has been picked up, I do have my next um, my my next directorial project that I'm going to work on, and it is a short um, dealing with death. But like, it's got like horror elements. It's very different, very very different. So I just got that final draft finished, and I'm hoping to film uh, film that. Uh, by the fall, I would say by the fall. So, and I'm sorry, my my boyfriend's dog has gotten into the room. I'm sure you can hear him. <laughs> There's a lot of moving and a shaking, so I apologize. Oh, but you're fine. <laughs> he, just, he just wants love and attention. So. Yeah. <laughs> cool. 
Yeah, so before I let you go and uh, play with the dog there, um, <laughs> where, where can people connect with you online? Where can they listen to the podcast and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. So I have a Facebook page, uh, Roger Connors. You can find that super easy. Um, my handle on most uh, platforms is the Screen Queer. Instagram, I use a ton, the Screen Queer. Um, uh, other than that, um, I have my official website, which is rogerconnors.com, which I recently just uh, started up. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to use social media a lot, so you can. You can find me all over the place. Other than that, uh, Dark Knight of the Podcast, I mean, you can Spotify, Google, like all, it's all on all the different platforms. So it's pretty easy to find. There is darknightofthepodcast.com as well, which has all the different services provided. So um, please check it out because I really enjoy it. I'm very proud of it. And um, it's just two gays. Gays cackling hens chatting about their favorite horror movies or their least favorite horror movies. We recently reviewed the 1988, the blob and it was phenomenal yeah. <laughs> <laughs> starring Shawnee Smith, who I love. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So yeah, yeah, everyone make sure you go check out dark Knight of the podcast. Um, go check out Rogers films. Um, keep updated for when the Blu-ray box set is going to be released. And I just want to thank you again for coming on the show and everything today. This was a great time. So yeah, man. Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate you letting me talk about myself. Oh, of course. <laughs> it was seriously fun. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, man. And I'll keep you updated on uh, the status of rebirth and everything because we will have more news soon, okay? Awesome, yeah. Cool, yeah. Awesome. awesome. But that's about it for this time, guys. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Roger Connors. As always, make sure you subscribe to the show over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to it, too. Make sure you check out Dark Knight of the Podcast. Subscribe to his show as well. It's an amazing show. And yeah, thank you guys for sticking with us throughout this episode. And I hope to see you guys back for another episode of The House of Horror coming up in a couple weeks. So as always, you guys, take care and stay spooky. <laughs>